grab your Bible. We're going to dive right in. This past Thursday, we uh, on our Facebook account, we posted just this statement, and we'd like to give you an opportunity to maybe fill in the blank. These are blank times. What's the adjective that you would use or the one that comes to your mind most readily when you think about the times that we're living in right now? How would you fill in that blank? I mean, I, I've got a lot of different words that I would use. These are strange times. These are tense times. Uh, thought about it. These are depressing times. Sometimes when I think about it and haven't been able to see uh, many of you face to face for months now and just really eagerly want to see that, see you. And so it makes me sad. So these are sad times. These are depressing times. These are interesting times. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've heard people say a lot uh, over the last few months is I never thought that I'd see the day that blank. You know, I never thought I'd see the day that the entire economy would shut down. I never thought I'd see the day when some of these things were happening. Man, it, these are these are very strange times, very interesting times. Um, but but beyond that, beyond just kind of the the moment that we're we're living in right now, I've seen in my lifetime uh, some changes in our culture. And what I see that is discouraging is that these are times when I see people moving farther and farther away from God and godliness and living holy lives. If you just think about TV programs in your lifetime, how those things have changed, you know, in the 50s and 60s, it was Leave it to Beaver and, and you moved up into the 80s, you had the Cosby Show and then you had Married with Children. I mean, up to today, I mean, so many of the things that we see on TV it just, if you follow that through history, you'll see that our culture is not moving toward God. Our culture is moving away from God. And, and the question is, how do we as children of God, how do we as those, how do we as followers of Christ uh, live godly lives in the midst of a culture that is becoming more and more anti-God or anti-holiness and anti-Christianity? Last week when we started our series in First Peter, we asked the question, how can we find joy in the midst of our suffering? And Peter's answer is hope. We, we find hope in the midst of our suffering. That's God's remedy for suffering, hope. And that's found in a relationship with God, a hope that lasts beyond this lifetime so that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can find hope. But today I want to ask the question of how do we live in an unholy world? How do we live godly lives in a godless world and a culture that's becoming increasingly godless? There are so many things that are happening all around us and so bombarded with information that there are so many voices uh, clamoring, for our, clamoring for our attention. I was reading a recent Barna survey that talked about morality and how many young people and millennials and even younger than millennials really look to the Bible as a standard for morality and the numbers every year are diminishing of the amount of people who believe that God's word is the standard for truth and the standard for how we're to live our lives. We live in a culture where right and wrong, the things that used to be right are now considered wrong and vice versa. How do we as children of God live lives that are committed to what God says in his word in the midst of a culture that is becoming increasingly unholy, increasingly anti-God, increasingly anti the Bible. In the first 12 verses of Peter's letter to these believers that are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, he reminded them of their hope that's found in their salvation in Christ, the hope that's rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But then in verse 13, he shifts towards some teaching on holiness. Notice what he writes, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
Set your hope, there's that word hope again, set your hope fully on the grace that will be, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 13, we kind of have a timeline of our relationship with, with Christ. That first word in verse 13 is therefore, and that points back to the salvation that Peter had referred to in the first 12 verses. So therefore, in light of your salvation that is rooted in the hope of Jesus Christ, at the end of verse 13, he talks about the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that day when Christ returns for us and we live in, in eternity with Christ, he says, from the day that you're saved until that future time, now we're living in this moment. So when we place our faith in Christ, we're saved from the penalty of sin. As we look forward to the return of Christ, where we'll be saved from the presence of sin for all eternity, right now we live in this in-between. And that's what Paul is referring to. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. The idea is today. Preparing your mind for actions. The King James translation of this verse is the one I grew up with, but it says, gird up the loins of your mind. And the idea here points back to, uh, uh, points to the, to the time in which these people lived. In the first century, they would often wear flowing robes. And that would be okay for just normal everyday activity around your house, uh, walking down the street, talking with people, and even sometimes going to the market. But if you were going to work hard or you were going to go on a long journey or you were going to do something like go to battle, you would gird up your garments and that meant you'd put a belt around them and oftentimes the belt would have various tools or weapons that they would use in them and Paul and what Peter is saying to these believers is is to get ready or to prepare themselves for action to gird up the loins of their mind means to put a belt on and get ready one of my fears as a pastor I, I get often in fact I was called this week to do a wedding next year one of my fears when I do the rehearsal dinner is that one of the bridesmaids or the bride herself when they're walking in and their grand entrance is going to fall down. It, it just is one of my worst fears that I have for them. And I remember this one wedding that I was doing and it was an outdoor venue and, and the day of the rehearsal, it had rained a lot. And the pathway that was leading up to the stage where we would, we'd be doing the ceremony, the pathway was like these paved stones. And so there would be these huge stones, but then there would be grass in between. And it was beautiful, you know, the way that they had it manicured. But the problem was the day of the rehearsal, that it had rained a lot. And so as we were going through the rehearsal, they told the bridesmaids and the bride, listen, make sure when you're at the wedding tomorrow and you're in your long dresses, that you don't step in between the rocks where it's gonna be on the soil or the grass because your heel could get stuck and, and you could have a problem and fall over. And sure enough, my worst nightmare came true. I mean, it wasn't for me, I didn't do it, but I saw a young lady, she was one of the bridesmaids, the groom and I had entered in and we were at the front of the stage and. All the bridesmaids were coming down and she forgot to, to kind of cinch her or pull her dress up a little bit and she put her heel right in that in in that grassy area and the shoe got caught and she continued to go forward and thankfully she only went to a knee so all wasn't ruined but she did get mud all over her beautiful bridesmaids dress and the idea is kind of you have to pull up the dress to to walk in some of those shoes i've seen that at the weddings and that's that's the idea when when peter is referring to to prepare themselves for action, to gird up the loins of their mind or get ready for action meant that you sense things up and get ready for the battle at hand. It means to pull your thoughts together and prepare your mind for action. Listen, I want you to write this down. In fact, I want you to write this statement in the comments. The battle for holiness is lost or won on the battlefield of your mind. Write that down. The battle for holiness is lost or won on the battlefield 
of your mind. We are called, and you'll see it later as Peter writes a little bit further, we are called to live holy lives. But before we can live holy lives, that battle is lost and won on the battlefield of your mind. Many of us, we get so focused on the world and what Peter's saying is stop focusing on everything else. Stop focusing on the world and get your mind ready for action. We as Christians are living for the return of Jesus Christ, not for the return on our, on our investments. We're living for the future, not the present. And we as Christians need to pull our thoughts together. If we are going to live holy lives in the midst of an unholy culture, we are going to have to do battle in our minds. And Paul, Peter says to keep your mind clear. Notice what he says, be sober-minded. To be sober means to be calm or self-controlled, to have clarity of mind and moral decisiveness. This kind of clarity seems difficult for us to have in these days. One example of that is when you talk to young people about marriage and about commitment and about dating. So many of their ideas and attitudes are influenced by the culture. It was the same in my day when I was dating that so many of my ideas about what it meant to have a relationship with someone were so influenced by our culture. And that's happening to our young people today. It's happening all around us. Marriages and relationships are being affected by the thoughts of the culture rather than really being dictated by the word of God. Because Peter knows something for these Christians. He knows that for them, suffering is coming for them because of their culture. If they're going to stand for something that's Christian, something that's holy, Peter knows if you take a stand for Christ, there is going to be suffering. And so he says, be ready, get your mind ready for action and be sober minded. Have your mind clear. I was recently driving with my family and uh, it was raining really hard. And so it was one of those situations where it was really difficult to see the road. And we were coming home from vacation and it was really, really difficult to see. It was one of the worst rainstorms I'd been in. And it got so bad that I decided, I made the decision to pull over to the side of the road. Now, I have to confess, sometimes when I'm driving and my wife will get on to me, I'm, I'm guilty of looking at a text or scrolling at one of the dings that comes up on my phone to just look at who's calling or whatever. But I'm telling you, when I was in the midst of that storm, my entire focus was on the road. I was looking and, and straining my eyes to see the road and to make sure the windshield wipers were cleaning the window. And when it got too bad, I made the decision to pull over. And that's the kind of clarity that we need to have, clarity of mind that we need to have every moment of every day as Christians. There are so many things that are bombarding us. And what we need to do is stop focusing on all the distractions. Stop putting our eyes on things that don't matter and put our minds squarely upon Jesus Christ and his word. So many Christians, I fear, do not see the slide that we're in in our culture. We are sliding away from God. I remember when 9-11 happened and the terrorist attack on New York City that there were so many people that were talking about this would be a great revival and a great awakening. And yes, there was a moment when people sought refuge in God and were looking for answers to what was happening in our world. But the moment uh, when, the, when the severity of the moment passed, people kind of went back to their normal lives and we have continued to our slide away from God. Fewer and fewer people are engaging in church. Fewer and fewer people are trying to live their lives according to the standard of God's word. I was reading some statistics recently that show that among millennials, that only about 30% of them have any kind of, uh, are, are consider themselves truly committed to Christ. But many of them, only 13% of them believe that salvation was only found in Jesus Christ. We will find ourselves in trouble as believers if we are not clear headed and have our minds ready 
for the battle at hand. And notice what he says. Not only should we uh, have our minds clear and be sober-minded, but he says, keep looking forward. Set your heart fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I heard a comedian one time say that uh, he takes family vacations, but in his opinion, the, the phrase family vacation is oxymoronic. Because if you're going to have a vacation and truly find rest, you can't take your family with you. Can I get a witness out there to the truth of that statement? But I know that when we've made preparations to go on a family vacation, we have these ideas. Okay, we're going to drive to this certain point. We'll need to stay overnight. And that drive, according to the GPS, should only take this amount of time. But then you get in the car and then you have the constant asking for bathroom breaks or we got to stop and, and get more gas or we, we have to get more food because somebody's hungry and didn't eat at the last place. And so all these different headaches, you have fights going on in the car. I remember when we were kids driving my mom and dad crazy on these road trips. But the reason that you make the road trip is that you know that at the end of this trip, there's going to be a vacation. There's going to be fun at hand uh, and, and you're going to have a great time with your family. You're going to make all these memories. If we only focus on the here and now, then we'd say, look, turn around the car and go back home. It's not worth it. But we, we endure those things because we know the end is coming. And Peter points our attention to the end of all of this. There's going to be suffering and there's going to be difficulty in the world, but he points our eyes toward the future and to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He points forward to the end and says, look, all these things you're suffering through right now, they may not be the way that you wanted them to be, but set your hope fully there on Jesus Christ at the end. We must have the long view in mind or the short run, I believe, will kill us. And here's the principle that I want you to remember today. To live victoriously in this world, I want you to write this down, outlook affects outcome. Remember that. Let it sink into your heart. Our outlook affects the outcome in our lives. If our hope is fixed on the weekend to come to save us from this week, then we will never live in victory because there's always another week that's coming. If our hope is fixed on our family helping us through trials, then we will never live victoriously in this world. If our hope is fixed on our job, on national security, financial security, our country, our upbringing, our friends, our lifestyle, our education, our kids, then we will never live in victory as God calls us to live in this world. We must keep our eyes looking forward to the hope that is in Jesus Christ because when it comes to living victoriously now, to living holy lives that are pleasing to God, we must remember that our outlook affects our income. Our future hope is not merely a theological doctrine. The fact that Jesus Christ is returning, that's not just a theological doctrine that we say we look forward to the return of Christ. That theological truth, that truth about God affects how we live every single day. Our belief in the return of Jesus, that future revelation of Jesus Christ should affect the here and now of our lives. I was raised in an environment where for, for many people, the Christian life was simply no more than Bible jeopardy. That the Christian life was learning more and more and knowing all the facts about the Bible and being able to pick apart verses, you know, piece by piece and every little small nuance of it. In fact, we would get together and have youth meetings and we would have Bible jeopardy and, and, and people were rewarded if they knew more about the Bible than someone else. But it's not about what we know. God is not looking at us and saying, now listen, if you want to live victorious in this life, you need to know all of the information. What we know about Christ has to be lived out every single day or what good is that knowledge? 
For far too long, I think that Christians have lived by this idea that what you believe is what matters. And what you believe does matter because your beliefs shape your behavior. But if your beliefs don't then shape your behavior to the point that it's lived out every moment of every day, what do those beliefs really mean? For example, let me, let me ask you this question. Do you believe what the Bible teaches that those who die without Christ will spend their eternity in hell separated from God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's what the Bible teaches? Do you believe that those who die without Christ will spend their eternity separated from God, paying the price for their sins? And if you truly believe that, the next question is, well, what are you doing about it? What, what does that belief do for your life? How does that belief shape now the way that you live? You see, we're not called to just know. We're not called to just look. I want you to notice what he says in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Notice here that the issue is not knowledge. I was having a conversation one time with a young lady that found herself in some trouble. And I told her, look, what you're doing right now, you know that it's wrong and you shouldn't be doing it. And she, says, she said to me, I know and believe what the Bible says, but I just don't live it in my life. Part of our, our obedience to God is our nonconformity to evil desires, not giving in to the culture that we find ourselves in. And I have found that many times when it comes to living in sin in our lives, that, that information is very rarely the problem. The problem is something else. I brought one of my kids' favorite uh, toys to play with. It's my least favorite because it gets everywhere, but it's just Play-Doh. And, and the idea that I find in verse 14 is kind of illustrated with this Play-Doh. Play-Doh is used and you, you play with it and you conform it to whatever shape you'd like it to be in. If I want it to be flat, then I pound it flat. And the Play-Doh conforms to my hand. And what Peter says in verse 14 is that we are not to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We are not to live our lives today in the same way that we did before we met Christ. Information is very rarely the problem. Most of us have a conformity issue. We know what God says of our lives. We know what God calls us to do. For example, we know that those who die without Christ, if we believe the Bible, will spend their eternity separated from God. And we know that we are called by God to be witnesses to those who don't know, know Christ. So information is very rarely the problem. Most of us do not share our faith with other people because not we have an information issue, we have a conformity issue. We're not conforming our lives to Jesus Christ and his word. We're conforming them to the way that we lived before. Jesus uh, came upon some Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. And the Pharisees were upset that Jesus' disciples didn't wash, his hand, wash their hands as they had been instructed to do. And Jesus said this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What Peter reminds us of is this in the first part, that we are found in Jesus Christ and our hope is in him. And then we're called in verse 13 to be sober-minded, have our minds ready for the battle that, that we're in right now. And in verse 14, as obedient children, we are not to live out the passions of our former life. We're to allow God to change us from the inside out. 
conformity belongs to the time of ignorance before we knew Christ, when we lived like the world. But when you find yourself living in sin or dealing with impurity or struggling with integrity, the culture outside you isn't to blame. Many of us want to blame the culture around us and say, these are strange times. These are evil times that we're living in. And so that's the reason that I do this. But Jesus said, it's not an outside problem. It's an inside problem with us. We have an outlook problem. We have a problem where we haven't pulled our thoughts together and conformed our lives to the image of Christ and lined them up with his word because our outlook affects our outcome. And notice in verse 15 what we're called to. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holiness is the alternative to conformity to the world. And the pressure of our culture is to conform to the world. When the Bible makes clear a stance, whether it's on sexuality or marriage or right and wrong, whatever it may be, it's so easy for us to allow the culture to shape us and to conform to the thoughts and the ideas of the culture. But we are not called to be conformed to the culture. We are called to be holy. To be holy means to be different or distinct. And it describes a qualitative difference. We had some friends come down from Michigan to visit with us recently. And they had been down a few years ago. And one of the things that they really missed from their first trip was Bluebell. If you're from Texas and you've had Bluebell, then you know, and I don't even want to hear any comments about it, there, there's not any ice cream in the world that could compare to Bluebell. It is simply the best. Their homemade vanilla is second to none. And that was what he looked forward to most of all. In fact, while they were here, we had ice cream pretty much uh, every night uh, while they were here because he loved the Bluebell. It's so unique. And it, I was telling him this week about when I used to be in the fire department, one of the traditions in the fire department in the city of Houston is when you show up for your first day of work, you bring two half gallons of ice cream. And I was at the, the station and when I was a rookie there, I brought two half gallons of Bluebell ice cream and that's a way to kind of get in good with the crew. And I remember while I was there that another rookie came in, showed up on his first day of work, and he had ice cream, and he set it down on the fire department counter. I'll never forget this. And he set it down and was wanting to meet the whole crew, and our captain came in uh, to welcome him, and he had brought Blue Bunny, which is not Bluebell. And the captain came in, met him, shook his hand, and then took his arm and just raked the Blue Bunny into the trash can and said, when we go buy breakfast this morning, you can buy some real ice cream. And the reason is because there's nothing that can compare with Bluebell. It is the best. It is unique. And in that word holy that you see there, it's unique in its quality. There's a qualitative difference to their lives. But notice these two phrases in verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And in verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. Complete and total surrender to God is the only way that we can have personal holiness and holiness begins in our minds. We have to renew our thought life and depart from the ignorant way that we thought before and conform our lives to Jesus Christ rather than conform them to the culture around us. We are called to live holy lives. And regardless of what the, cult, the culture calls holy or unholy, we are to line our lives up with what God has said in his word. And if that's our outlook, if our outlook is whatever God asks me to do, I will do it, 
then that outlook is going to determine our outcome. If you want to look like the world and let your thoughts and your mind be, cons excuse me, if you want to look like the world, then just let your thoughts and mind be consumed by the world. But if you want to live as obedient children of God and live in holiness as God calls us to live, then we have to set our minds and pull our thoughts together and do battle in our minds because the battle for holiness is won on the battlefield of our minds. We have to change our outlook in order to change the outcome. Do you want to see your family honor God? Then stop letting the culture dictate to you how to set up your family and listen to what God says. Stop listening to the culture and, and, and the culture telling you that we're to allow sports and other things to be the God of our lives and surrender our minds and our lives to God and his word. If you want to see your marriage change, stop listening to the culture. Stop listening to people whose marriages are also broken, trying to give you advice about what it means to have a good marriage and listen to what God says in his word. And husbands, love your wives and wives, love your husbands and set your family up the way that God designed it. Do you want to see your life change? Then stop focusing on social media. Stop focusing on the news. Stop focusing on the here and now and begin to get your mind focused on God and allow him to change your outlook. If you want the outcome to change, we have to change what we're looking at. We have to change our minds. We have to change what we're focused upon. And he says in verse 17, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And you'll remember that in verse 1, he called them elect exiles in the time of their sojourn here. Knowing that you were ransomed, verse 18, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or with spot. And this should change our outlook. It seems like such a contrast to what Peter had said earlier when he said in verse 13 that we should set our hope fully on the grace. We should be looking forward to Jesus Christ and his return to fix our eyes upon that moment and set our hope there. But in verse 17, he, he focuses on the here and now. He talks about their exile and, and how we should live our lives here. Well, wait, which one is it? Should we focus our attention there or live our lives here? And the answer is both. You see, we love the messages about the love, grace, and mercy, and blessings of God. But, but notice what he says in verse 17, that we will stand before God, our Father, who judges us. There is a time coming when we will stand before God and be judged. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14 that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And because we know God judges us as believers according to our work, not for our salvation for eternity, but for a life that pleases God. Notice what Peter says here. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile to be foreigners in this world. That's the essence of fear in this verse. The fear here, it doesn't refer to being scared of discipline from God. It, it ref, it's best understood as reverential awe for God. It's the kind of positive awe that a son or daughter has toward a respected and loved parent. I remember when my mom and dad would go out for their anniversary every year as kids. And when my older brothers got old enough, they would watch us. They would be the babysitters and we would fight while they were gone. But we always knew that they were coming home. And when they came home, we had better be acting right. Because there was a day, there was a time coming when they would be home. And I had this 
fear of my mom and dad. Not that I was fearful because they were brutal in any way, but, but I loved them and I had a respect for them in such a way that I did not want to disappoint them. When they came home for their anniversary, the last thing I wanted was to be a disappointment to them. And that's the kind of fear that we are to have of God, knowing, yes, there will be a day of judgment that God has a certain expectation of how we are to live our lives. And so we should live in that fear and that reverence for God every moment of every day. And in verse 18, there's some beautiful imagery. He says, knowing that you were ransomed, that word ransomed is a reference to slavery. To the Jews that, that would have read, uh, read this, they would have remembered their exile and their time in Egypt. The Gentiles would have understand that a slave would be purchased to have freedom. There were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And many became Christians and they, they found fellowship in the local churches. And a slave could purchase his own freedom or the master could sell him to someone who could pay the price and set them free. And so when Peter used the word ransomed, he said, knowing that you were ransomed from your past ways. We used to be slaves to our sin. Our former mindset was of the world. But Peter says, you've been ransomed from that. You've been purchased, not with things that fade away like silver and gold. But notice what he said in verse 20 or in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that the cost of our salvation was the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. And the price of our freedom from sin was not paid for by first century currency that now has no value, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ that is eternally valuable. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith, and here's that word again, hope, are in God. I want you to let that last phrase soak into your mind today. So that your faith and hope are in God. Outlook determines outcome. Because the last phrase of verse 21 is connected to verse 13. Verse 21 is the outcome. That our faith and our hope are in God. That at the end of this life, a life of victory that is to be lived, regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in, free from, from the dangers of persecution and corruption, a life that's pleasing to God, that's where our life and our faith is rooted in, hope in God. But verse 13 is the outlook. Fight the battle in your mind. Pull your thoughts together, change your mind, clear your mind, and keep your eyes focused on the Lord because there is that outcome that's coming when we stand before God in judgment. Your future salvation rests in Christ, but we will all stand before God, a holy and perfect and just God, and give an account of our lives. In order to live victoriously in this world, we must, we must remember that outlook affects outcome. I want you to see how all this plays out. If you wanna live in victory over conformity to the culture, and live in holiness during your stay here, during your exile here, then outlook affects outcome. You have to focus your mind on Christ, 
Focus your mind on the judgment that comes. Focus your mind on who God is and what God has called us to do. And then align your life with his word. When persecution comes, keep your mind on Christ. When temptation comes, keep your mind on Christ. When the culture spirals out of control, you keep your mind on Christ. When your friends let you down, keep your mind on Christ. Remember that this world is not your home, that you're just sojourners here, that you are exiles here, and keep your eyes on the day that you will stand before God. Keep your mind and your eyes on Christ. I've heard pastors, I think they have good intention, intentions when they've said this. They say, you can be so heavenly minded that you do no earthly good. And I believe that that statement is garbage. I don't believe that that statement is true because Peter said to these believers in this day to keep our minds focused on God, to keep our hope and faith in God, knowing that we will stand before him, knowing that we're living this life, not for now, but we're living it in light of eternity. We better keep our hearts and our minds focused on Jesus Christ and the time that is to come. At the beginning of this message, I ask you to fill in the blank. These are blank times. These are uncertain times. These are sad times. But our culture that we live in is messed up. There is evil and immorality in our world. And some of it is justified by laws that are being changed. And what we see is simply our culture, as so many cultures have done, moving away from God and becoming more and more of a secular nation and not a Christian nation. But we as believers in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not of this world. We are first citizens of God's kingdom. And as such, we are to live lives that are unique and different. Our lives should look different than the culture around us. Our mindset and our values should be different than those around us. We can rise above the evil of culture, not so that we can be better but so that we might shine the light of the gospel to those who are searching for hope. If the world persecutes us, our outlook will be hope in Jesus Christ. If we suffer, our outlook will be hope in Christ. If our culture tempts us to live in sin and disobedience to God's word, our outlook will be hope in Christ. And if our outlook is hope in Christ and set on Jesus Christ, then the outcome of that is simple, that we will live lives ultimately that are pleasing to God. When we stand before him and we give an account of our lives to God, he can say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. So just a few questions. As a child of God, are you living a holy, separated life from your culture? And I'm not talking about living as a hermit where you're isolated from the culture, but I'm talking about being insulated from the culture. We are called to live in this world, but to be lights in the world and to be insulated from the culture in that our minds are focused on Christ so that we don't look like the culture, but we can be culture changers with our lives. You see, the culture is not to blame when we are losing the battle of personal holiness. We're losing the battle first in our minds. We're being drawn to sin and willfully indulging in those things. And we have to be honest about that. And we must win the battle in our minds and set our minds on Christ. And when we do that, that's how we live in victory in this world. If you want to change the outcome and live a life that is holy and separated as God has called us to live, then we must change the outlook. We must set our minds on Jesus Christ and his word. 
Will you join me for prayer today? I want to just pray that over us, that God would help us to change our outlook so that we can live the lives that he's called us to live. I want to just pray this passage over us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you prepare our minds for action, that you'd help us to be clear-minded and to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For, for too long, I confess, God, I've allowed my mind to be focused on the culture and the things around us and, and sometimes even blaming the culture for my own sin. But I pray that you would help us to win the battle of our minds and set our minds on Jesus Christ and help us to live as obedient children and not be conformed to our former passions, but to live holy lives, to be holy as you are holy. Lord, we ask you to help us win that battle for holiness in our lives. Help us to live different lives and be unique in, in the way that we live so that those around us will see our good works, not to bring glory to us, but bring glory to you, that the way that we live our lives might bring others to Jesus Christ. Help us to be reminded today that we are ransomed from our former life, that we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we would live our lives in such a way as to bring him glory and that we would set our faith and hope in you. We ask you to purify us, make us holy as you are holy, and then make us bold witnesses and ambassadors for those around us who are searching for hope. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.